I just got to love that double stack Marshall sound at the end of that theme. Just love it. I feel like Pete Townsend. I should be leaping across the stage or something. Showtime. Welcome to the show, folks. I'm Brent Holland. And welcome, one and all, to Night Fright. Tonight, folks, we're going to be looking at the Billy Meyer story. Michael Horn is going to join us in just a few minutes. He is most most decidedly, uh, or undecidedly, I should say, stuck in L.A. traffic. So there you go. Who knew? <laughs> it's three hours difference. It's uh, only 5 o'clock there, so he's stuck in traffic. But he assures me he shall be home in 10 or 15 minutes, so no problem there whatsoever. Welcome to Night Fright. Get the coffee going. Get the tea going. Get a beverage of your choice going. Sit back in your most comfy chair. Get on the couch. Put your feet up and relax because for the next two hours we're going to be looking at the Billy Meyer story, as I said, with none better than Michael Horn. And they have a new video called And Did They Listen, which uh, pretty much covers the whole UFO saga um, with Edward Albert Billy Meyer. Now, I'm just going to read this. This is off Wikipedia, folks, while we're waiting for uh, for Michael to get home and battle that uh, L.A. Uh, LA traffic. Billy Edward Albert Meyer, he was born February 5th, 1937, is a citizen of Switzerland. And Billy, of course, is the source of many controversial UFO photographs he presents these photographs as evidence to support claims that he is in contact with extraterrestrials. In addition, he has also presented other controversial material during the 70s, such as metal samples. We're going to get into that tonight, folks. Sound recordings and film footage. Meyer reports regular contacts still to this day with extraterrestrials he calls the Pleiadian. Now, I'm going to spell that because I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and I'm sure Michael will will uh, correct me if I'm not. That's spelled P as in Peter, L-E-J-A-R-E-N. Meyer claims that the Pleiadian, how's that, looks similar <laughs> in appearance to humans from Northern Europe and states that the Plagiarian homeworld is called ERA, E-R-R-A. It is located in a dimension which is a fraction of a second, shifted from our own dimension, very interesting stuff, about 80 light years beyond the Pleiades, an open star cluster. The Plagiarian were given the name Palladians by Meyer up to 1995. Now... Let's look a little bit and um, see some what, what some of the controversy is. So those metal sal uh, samples I had just mentioned. In Sabato's documentary, Contact, a metallurgist examination of Billy Meyer's metal revealed, we have little mark marker bars here that we can line up on each peak as they come up. This one indicates that we have silver there. Over here, let's see, we've got some copper, a small amount of copper. That looks about all that there is here at the moment. In 79, Meyer sent Marcel Vogel, a chemist working at IBM, crystal and metal samples, claimed to have received from the Plagiarin. Vogel examined these samples with a scanning electron microscope and reported, when I touched the oxide, with a stainless steel probe, red streaks appeared and the oxide coating disappeared. I just touched the metal like that 
and it started to deoxidize and become a pure metal. I have never seen a phenomenon like that before. Vogel also claimed that another metal sample he examined contained nearly every element in the periodic table. And Vogel stated each pure element was bonded to each of the others, yet somehow retained its own identity. So there we have it, some controversy right there that we're going to get into, the metal samples, of course. Folks, if you're just joining us, I'm Brent Holland. The show is called Night Fright, www.nightfrightshow.com. There you will find a wealth of information. Last week we had John Lear on. Uh, that show was up there on the website. Uh, we do a lot on the JFK assassination. Nobody else covers the Kennedy assassination like Night Fright. As a matter of fact, I, I've just penned a book on the Kennedy assassination based on, are you ready? My personal friendship with Ted Sorensen, who was JFK's speechwriter and close this aide. He was so integral to the Kennedy administration. It was he that JFK tasked to write the letter the letter that saved mankind, and that letter was the letter to Khrushchev to get him to pull the missiles out of Cuba. Otherwise, you and I would not be sitting here today. How close were we during the Cuban Missile Crisis in October 1962? Ted told me that Jackie Kennedy had called JFK, because Jackie wasn't at the White House at that period. He wanted her out of the White House. Uh, and begged him to bring that he could she could bring the two kids home to be with JFK the very next day. This is the night Ted wrote the letter because she thought they would all die together on the white lawn on the White House front lawn. That's how close we were. Everybody thought they were not going to get out of this and that the missiles were set to fly. So Ted saved mankind by writing that letter. And uh, in the book called JFK Assassination, and Deborah Conway from JFK Lancer, who's my publisher, is going to be very happy as I promote the book. <laughs> um, there's uh, Ted's final interview. As it turned out, when I was down in New York several years ago, New York City, I was there to interview three Nobel Peace Laureates, and I just happened to call up Laurie Morris, who was his personal secretary, and asked Laurie, if I could just do a quick meet and greet with Ted. Ted agreed, and I got a phone call back from Lori saying, be at Ted's apartment, 4 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. And once again, I showed up at his apartment, which is uh, just across from uh, Central Park. And it's the building just next to where John Lennon lived. And it's just a beautiful, gorgeous building, of course. I went up and met Ted. And living legend, I was shaking. I mean, this is a living legend, folks, Ted Sorensen. And uh, Ted was kind enough to invite me in. I thank God something had told me when I left my hotel room to go back. I was virtually just getting on the elevator, and I turned around and went back and got my video camera. Something told me, grab that camera. I don't know what it was, and I thought it would have been intrusive had I presented a camera. But he invited me in. I put the camera on, and I ended up with Ted's very last interview. And he was ready to talk. And all I can say is when you buy the book, you're going to find out that all those guys that thought it was Oswald by himself, 
Eh, eh, wrong old baby. And that's from the inner circle. This book is going to explode the Kennedy assassination apart. And uh, hopefully we'll get mainstream involved because Ted Sorensen confirms conspiracy. Anyways, more on that later. Uh, the book should be out on Amazon hopefully this week or early next week. What I'm going to do, folks, is hang 10 for a, for a few seconds. It's uh, 10 minutes after. I told him I would try 10 minutes. Oh, Michael's here. Isn't that great? Michael hustled home, and Michael is here. So I'm just going to pull him right in now. Just give me a second here, folks. And uh, Michael will be right with us. Uh, but a little background music. Here we go. There we go. He, it's calling Michael right now. And by the way, if you want to join us, Brent Holland Show on Skype. And I'll drag you into the conversation, too. How you doing, Michael? Great, Brent. Sorry for the delay. It's okay. How's the traffic? <laughs> it, coming back, it was better. They had apparently arrested somebody in a field or something like that. It was bizarre. Uh, is it? Are you in L.A.? Oh. No, I'm actually in Arizona. Same time zone. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, no problem. Here, I was telling everybody you were caught in L.A. traffic. <laughs> yeah, might as well have been. <laughs> it was. It's hardly ever like that here, you know. But uh, it wasn't super bad. It just threw a you know monkey wrench into the works. Sure, I hear you. Yeah, when you're used for something, you know, transversing five or ten minutes, and all of a sudden. There's a hiccup, and it may turn into an hour. It happens whenever there's an accident. We live next to the busiest highway in North America here. I broadcast it to Kingston, Michael. And, um, really? yeah, 500,000 vehicles go by the highway every day. And uh, even busier than L.A., I was shocked to find out, too. And a Canadian highway, go figure. Um, and every time there's an accident, you know, the whole highway just backs up for miles and miles and miles. So. Thank you for joining us, my friend. I was just prepping the show. I was just reading a little bit of Billy's um, biography. Where did you meet Billy? I wanted to ask you this, Michael. Where did you meet him, and how did you become associated with this man? Sure. Well, what happened was I hadn't met him until the year 2000, but in 1979 I walked into a bookstore in Los Angeles, and I saw the first you know, coffee table-type color photo book. And it was so dramatically <laughs> impressive that I looked at it and I knew right then and there, well, those are real photos and i got to get this book. And um, what I usually tell people is my opinion of the reality of the case has never changed, although now I have far more uh, to base my conclusion on, you know, 35 years' worth of research, investigation, et cetera, et cetera. And I went to Switzerland for the first of my 14 visits in 2000, year 2000, mm. and met, met Billy. And uh, I've had, as I, you know, all those visits, I've had a chance to, of course, spend time with him and talk to him about lots of stuff, meet his family, friends, other witnesses, other photographers, people from all over the world that come to talk to him and visit. So it's been quite a, a gift in my life. Were you skeptical at all when when you first heard the story and did, you know uh, you know somebody throwing pie plates perhaps in the, in the sky you know the whole nine yards people have accused them of all kinds of things. Well, you know I hadn't really heard of Billy before. I saw yeah, and the photographs nineteen you know taken from it anywhere from seventy five to seventy eight were so stunning and so clear uh, and so compelling and the the text that was included in the book. 
along with you know other information about documentation stuff was also so clear and compelling and credible that I didn't doubt that it was real and I'd ever since I was a very young kid I was fascinated with you know space stuff I was growing up in the 40s and 50s but this was just a whole other level of Oh yeah, this is for real. You know, kind of. <laughs> this is a whole other level of deep space, right? so to speak. Now, oh, yeah. was there something? Was there one photograph, one item in particular that said, "Yeah, this can't be explained," and that sold you? Well, you know, that photo book had um, wonderful. I still have the book. It has wonderful, clear reproductions of lots of Billy's photos, and with the exception maybe of just one or two, if they're showing something you know, somewhat in the distance and isn't quite as clear. The photos are so compelling because, let's remember, it's 1979, and you open a book up, and here are these objects, show, you know, that are clearly, uh, you know, to, to my eyes, even at the time, you know, there's some machining involved, and there's different kinds of metals. You can see different colors of metals, and stuff is hovering, and here's a photograph with a Swiss jet going by in the background. And here's, you know, the guy that took the photos is what? Oh, He's a one-armed, you know, Swiss farmer. Okay, you know, so with a big long beard, yeah, long beard, and you know, and and a bunch of other people, and here the people that are reporting on this. It's a you know retired lieutenant colonel from the U.S. Air Force, two private investigators who I would find out uh, later had been initially very skeptical. They were very, they are still very high-level, uh, you know, Fortune 500 type people who secure, you know. Uh, electronic uh, safety rooms and and, and uh, lines going in and out of phones and computers and stuff that's you know kind of beyond me. And all, I I got a chance. Uh, I've known all those people uh, well over 20 years. And Lieutenant Colonel Stevens is no longer alive, but I had known him for over 20 years. And I had even recently been living around the corner from Lee and Britt Elders. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Now before you met Billy, did you ever have any? paranormal experiences or something outside of the box, uh, perhaps a UFO sighting or a personal experience? Well, let's see. Uh, no UFO sighting. I had lots of dreams since childhood of these disks like lights flying in the sky. So they were circular things, and, and I knew that there was something to this, and uh, I just had these knowings from dreams mainly and I'd also had a kind of unusual experience in 1972 where, like, a voice kind of popped into my head and told me a bunch of stuff that was going to happen. Really? Uh, yeah. And um, well, You make and it sound so, so nonchalant. You just go, yeah, and you brush it off like it's a normal thing. What did they tell you? What did the voice t say to you? Well, it, uh, it, verbatim, as best I remember, because some of this I remember exactly as it happened, and it said, um, well, let me see now that I've said that. That's um, okay. Uh, it said that it was an aspect of myself from the future that had come across a bridge of time built by me and others like me that I might know that I'm an eternal being. And then it went on to say that there were several things that I would in, you know, encounter in my lifetime. And the first one was that all um, of the body's uh, organs and states of health would soon be have kind of frequencies ascribed to them that would enable people to learn how to tune themselves, so to speak, into states of health. And that um, much the same way that we at that time even had biofeedback, there would be technologies that people would utilize for 
altering these frequencies and upgrading, you know, their health. And then the second thing was also healing related. It said that the medicine of the future um, would be light and sound applications to the body and the energy body, and that eventually the healers would be healer technicians. People would be able to stand in these kind of like mini planetarium little domes where the uh, technicians would be able to uh, somehow see the energy field as well as the uh, body, you know, the body and its field directly. Yeah, the physical, and that they would be able to direct light and sound applications. Well, light and sound applications to the body are here too. I mean, we have different, you know, technologies, frequency machines, all this stuff. But the third one was the most interesting. It said that in the future people would make what they call personality deposits. They would be interviewed even like at institutes through a full range of uh, history, personal history, beliefs, behaviors, fears, doubts, desires, accomplishments, failures, everything about them that they could kind of then deposit into this overall computer bank. This is 1972. I didn't even know much about computers. And it said that in people's homes, they would be able to have these consoles like that had a you know computer and a keyboard. They'd have a chair with sensors built into it. And there would be data from all people who participated in this program that they said I could refer to as psychograms and that there would also be information on historical and even mythological people. And you could type in, uh, choose people you want to interact with, like, oh, Albert Einstein, Attila the Hun, Mother, you know, Mother Teresa, Joan of Arc, whatever, yeah. And, yeah, and pick a setting and then pick the topic and you could, then you'd press a button and you could generate their holograms and in addition, you could either generate your own hologram or simply do all of your interaction from this chair without seeing a projection of yourself. When the interaction had run its course, you could run on your computer screen the analysis based on what the computer had picked up from the sensors connected to the chair that you were sitting in, and you could get information about some of your unconscious uh, processes and blah, blah, blah. So what it was describing was full-blown virtual reality holograms without glasses, uh, you know, right then and there. That was 70, 72, and actually not 79. And um, Just let me ask you this, Michael. If that technology existed today and you were able to access all these various famous peoples and get their input and things of that nature, who would, who would you pick? Well, um, let me give you first an intermediary step, and then maybe Fire I'll have away. Fire away. Um, in 1985, that little 13 years later, a little voice popped in my head and said, get a video camera. And I said, I don't need a video camera. Second time, get a video camera. I said, I don't do video. Third time, it said, get a video camera. I said, well, that's three times. I better get a video camera. I left my house. I went down to this place. I know exactly where it was. It's no longer the same store, but in Santa Monica. I bought a Kyocera video camera, and when I got in the car, I said, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to do future self-sessions. So as I'm driving home, and I always carry the notepad, I started making all these notes. And when I got home, I elaborated on the notes, and I called a woman that I knew at the time, and I said, come on over. Let's do a future self-session. She said, what's that? And I said, just bring some idea of something you want to do, have, or become that you haven't accomplished, and I'll do the rest. So in the, between the time I got to the <laughs> store and the time she arrived, 
I had created this whole process, which was a question-based process, and I put her and subsequently lots of other people through it, a good number of whom came back six months to a year later and gave me testimonials on how they accomplished the very thing that they did their session about. So I, I got a chance to make it happen, in not in holographic form, although I did very clever things with the video so people could literally interact with themselves using videotapes mm -hmm. and all that. But to, then to answer your question about who would I... You know, I had never actually really given that a thought. And I'll, I'll tell you, maybe it'll sound stuffy, but maybe because I've had the opportunity to sit and talk with Billy as many times as I have and read his information and the information from the play Aaron, that it's I don't have that same yearning for some particular person to know, you know, I'm sure now that you've posed it, if I thought about it for a while, I could probably come up with something and go, yeah, you know, that'd be an interesting person. Well, we'll come back to it. Don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, for me, I think it would be either my, my father who passed away or Jesus or maybe a combination thereof. Who knows? Uh, folks, if you're just joining us, www.nightfrightshow.com. There you will find tonight's guest link, and that link will take you right to a spot where you can order Michael Horn's latest video on Billy Meyer called, And Did They Listen? And that's a very good title for this video, folks. It documents Billy Meyer's 70 years um, in contact with the player, play Aaron. Play Aaron? Play Aaron. Yeah. Play Aaron. Okay, I'll get it right, folks. I promise you. Forgive my dyslexia. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you can purchase the video online. You can download it and stream it online. If, if, there's two ways to get it. You can get a hard copy, or you can stream it right off the uh, the internet. So tr once again, folks, www.nightfrightshow.com. If you want to speak with Michael Horn, no problem at all, folks. Brent Holland Show is the Skype address. I'll add you as a uh, a contact. And I'll drag you right into the conversation if you have any questions you'd like to ask Michael Horn about Billy Meyer or perhaps something else that's on your mind. No problem whatsoever. Let's go back to Michael. Now, what I was very curious about, Michael and, and Billy, I had started off the show talking about the, the metallic uh, samples that he came across and right. what Vogel had said about them. Has there been anything updated about the metallic samples at all since that information was put out? Not to my knowledge. And, you know, a lot of people have been very curious about that. Um, I actually, I mean, there was a, a, an analysis done by Marcel Vogel, who was a research chemist at IBM, and he said he couldn't, you know, make those metals with any technology available to him as a scientist. People will uh, certainly have and probably still will argue about some of the physical evidence, although the newest analyses of Myers' UFO photos are so conclusive that these are authentic, and these are the clearest photos you will ever see, daylight photos within 20 feet of the craft. Good night, you know. So the physical evidence, though, will still, you know, provoke controversy, and that's fine, but it's in the information that the case is proven to me beyond a shadow of a doubt. And um, I think if people, you know, if they want to look at it, I, I never mind a challenge on any of that, but if people start 
to delve into this material, they, one of the questions they have to come to eventually is, it, it's a variation of why didn't I hear about this before or why didn't I know it was real? So that's you know, my, my position. And I just want to pop one thing back. Yeah, well, when you said you would probably want to speak to your father and to Jesus, I think that, uh, I probably would want to talk to my father again, too. And I'll leave, it, I'll leave it hang in the air and say to you that I've already satisfied the talk to Jesus part. But you can eat, take the whole pot. I agree with you. Now, do you feel... While we're on this subject, might as well dive in right away. Do you feel Jesus is an extraterrestrial, or is there something more to this person we call Jesus? Yeah. Well, let me let me tell you, and I, I like to, yeah, I like to preface things like this, especially with according to the information in the case, because there are things that I can't prove, uh, mainly for reasons of the far distant past or the as yet unarrived future. Here is the information in the case. The man we call Jesus was one of seven prophets intended for our world who was tutored by the Playaran extraterrestrial race throughout history. He, Jesus, never existed as a person named Jesus Christ. We go to Isaiah 7.14 and to, in the New Testament, Matthew, it's either 123 or 126, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, variously spelled E-M-M or I-M-M, and in the contemporary information in the Meyer case, it's the, the figure we rec recognize as a J is used. So the point is this, according to the information of the case, the spirit form or the spirit that in, enlivened six of the major prophets, Enoch, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Emmanuel, and Muhammad, also would enliven one final prophet for earth humanity during the electronic age when the true teaching brought by all of those prophets from Enoch to uh, Muhammad would be presented and maintained in its unaltered, unmanipulated form. The final prophet would appear during this age, and my take on it is that uh, whoever was in charge of figuring, figuring this one out said, hey, this time let's get it right. We don't need a fiery, charismatic guy who's going to end up getting crucified, nor a firebrand on a horse with a sword. And someone says, I know, by the time people find out about him this time, Let's make him a pot-bellied, gray-bearded, one-armed Swiss farmer. And that, my friends, is the information pertaining to who Billy Meyer is. And there's nothing to believe, true or not. It's not a matter of belief. It's simply a matter of information, and people would have to work through it themselves <laughs> if they're interested. Michael, um, is Billy Meyer aware of, was he aware of his role in the same sense that Christ was aware of his role, that Muhammad was aware of his role? Uh, well, I think in the, in the same way. That is, that in each of the cases of the six previous prophets, they were approached as young children. Uh, and because we all, prophets, non-prophets, whatever, we come into life 
unknowing in each lifetime and have to be re-educated. We have to be educated all over again. We have certain benefits uh, in terms of the time we come into life and situation, and in some ways that are not in accordance with most beliefs, we can have some benefits from previous experience and knowledge. Meyer, at age five, was you know, contacted, five-year-old boy growing up in a little religious canton in, you know, in Switzerland, and his education included quite a lot of stuff, including that his own beliefs had to be not only explained to him in ways that we now have explanations from him, but he was shown things by virtue of the player's ability to travel and travel in time. And when he was 16 years of age, according to the information in the case, he was taken back to Jerusalem approximately 32 A.D., to see some things for himself. Wow. Yeah. And this, this stuff is all in the case. And it's probably at least more than half the reason why there have been 22 attempts on Meyer's life, not just because of UFOs. So it's a highly volatile, controversial bit of business that once you get into studying the uh, information in it. Does he have any information or would you have any information I can understand why he would be a threat. <clears throat> would he have any information, concrete information, about who was out to kill him? And um, is there anybody out there trying to protect him? Sure, those are great questions. Um, he knows that in some cases there were elements of certain uh, intelligence services, assassins who were tasked with putting a bullet in his head or whatever, and you would think, oh, you know, cynics say, oh, 22 attempts, well, I could get this guy with a rifle, you know, blah, blah, eh, lovely thought. You know, people always think of how they could wipe somebody out. Uh, but, uh, and by the way, um, there's a photograph, and in one of our films we actually show this, one of the bullets in one of the little agenda books he wore in his pocket with a metal plate in, in it that blocked the bullet from hitting his heart. He was warned in a dream. I think that bullet may have been from a woman who was a kind of religious fanatic and then who later apologized to him, and he welcomed her apology and, you know, answered her questions and stuff like that. So what has happened is, and there, by the way, in one of the, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to ask you, is he considered to be the Antichrist, if you will? Do many so he, people levy that type of um, horrible connotation towards him? Oh, yeah, sure. People call him all sorts of stuff. And, <laughs> you know, Antichrist, the devil, and this stuff. I mean, here's a guy, you know, actually, if you ever had the opportunity to meet Billy, this is one very grounded, genuine, sweet human being with a full range of human behaviors and, you know, emotions who makes nothing special of himself. Obviously, if you saw this guy in his blue jeans and work shirt and his one arm, gray beard walking around, you're not going to think that this is a guy that maybe an hour before or after was on a craft with these people discussing something and he's going to be typing it out at 100 words per minute in German with one hand shortly to publish it. Wow. So uh, it, is a, it is very, and no pun intended, it is disarming because he gives no pretense, draws no special attention to himself, and in fact, in the group that works with him to disseminate his information, he has one vote. He can be overridden and all argued with and everything else. The only difference is that he's the dude that gets to meet with these people, who, some of whom have seen, been seen by people in his family, 
Uh, there's five, six other photographers of the ship, so it's not like only one guy knows about this stuff. But he's the only one that does interact at all with them or meet with them or anything. I'm going to ask you some stereotypical questions, but I think they're important for our audience to get an idea of what we're talking about. And the first one is, did the play Aaron, did they create us? John Lear was here last week, and he says, yes, absolutely, uh, perhaps not the play Aaron, but he says the extraterrestrials created well, us. No, not really, and in a sense, I know what he means. Let me... Oh, I think I know. Uh, the, there is something called Contact 251, freely available on my website. And you get in there Meyer's presentation of over 22 million years going back in history up to another couple thousand going forward about things that he knows and has foretold. According to the information in this case, there have been space-traveling races in this universe for literally millions of years. Some have come and gone and all the rest. One particular group that originated in the star system of Lyra or Lyra, the harp, whichever you want to call it, uh, a faction of that group emigrated to the Syrian star system well over 20 million years ago. And they decided to focus their development in a highly spiritual, artistic manner and to get rid of any of the violent legacy of some of their forefathers who were really high-tech warriors in the universe, not just in their planets. And they went so far as to modify themselves genetically to remove even any trace of aggression, let alone their fighting spirit. Because of the laws of cause and effect and attraction and different things in the universe, they started to attract hostiles from outside of their own realm, who were coming to attack them because they had made themselves quite vulnerable, they quickly got around to making genetic modifications on certain humans in their, uh, in their world. And the modifications were to very seriously crank up the aggression and propensity for violence and to uh, tune down the, uh, the lifespan, to modify and create a, an aging gene so that these people could not live more than about a hundred years and specifically so that once they had accomplished their task of being the protectors to these overlords, if you will, they wouldn't overthrow them. And the story goes, and this is, I'll, I'll wrap it up quickly so we don't get into a long fairy tale here. That's okay, my friend. Oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll try and complete it <laughs> succinctly anyhow. Once they had accomplished their you know, their purpose and these Syrians had rebalanced themselves and, you know, come to their own senses and got back the necessary genetic components into their own race. There was a debate between factions and one faction in the Syrian government said, let's just wipe these folks out here. We don't need, you know, a million or whatever of these warrior types that sooner or later are going to cause us trouble. And another faction said, that's a pretty non-spiritual thing to do for, for us. We don't go around, you know, genociding, we've got to figure out something. So they had a pretty heated debate going, and one night, so it goes, the faction that wanted to protect these beings gathered up, well, at least over a million, from what I remember the figures being, into huge ships and fled immediately from the Syrian star system. They traveled and tried to find a remote, uh, habitable, but un not easily approachable environment. They found a little, uh, you know, uh, solar system on the 
uh, end of one of the spiral arms of a galaxy in the Milky Way there, a uh, solar system in the Milky Way, and there were three habitable planets, and they plopped down on these three different planets with certain numbers of people. The first planet being called uh, alternately Malona or Maldek or Phaeton, the second one being Mars, the third Earth, and with the creator overlords lording it over the primitive uh, human beings, representing themselves as the gods and creators, and they wouldn't be the first or only to do that, they ruled over these people. The people on Malona got creative, and th as they developed their technology, their warlike tendencies caused them to fight amongst themselves until on one fateful day, I think using atomic devices and the diversion of seawater into the magma chambers of volcanoes, they blew their planet apart. Welcome to the asteroid belt. Oh, my goodness me. Wow. Now, if we are the descendants and if th these um, warrior type of creatures are still here, are we in danger from the, from the people that wanted to, to wipe these people out? No, but that's another good question because there had been for some time, not recently, but for some time, concerns that elements of the Syrians still living, and this, we're going back originally, these things went back millions of years here, and in that period of time, there was a rising and falling of populations. The humans on Mars, for the most part, uh, were instantly wiped out when the destroyer comet came through and tossed uh, Mars topsy-turvy around, although those people that could flee, as may have been the case in Malona, if any could, uh, came to Earth and would be incarnating here. But there had been other comings and goings of various extraterrestrial races, some that were, they came and went, some stayed, got stranded, uh, they, their technology failed them, and they either uh, got wiped out due to circumstances of being here during primeval times with no technology, or they, uh, depending on the epoch it occurred in, they reverted eventually to primitive tribes, forgetting their true history and their languages and everything else, because they were in survival mode. And then they may have started to climb back up the evolutionary ladder, but all everybody on the planet now, through the course of history and interbreeding and everything else, carries the shortened lifespan gene, which the play Iron have said, must and will and is in the process of its earliest reversals and we carry the uh, you know the aggression gene which must be modified back or we won't get too far in space so the any of the original overlords some of whom may have been even benevolent in their intentions but still a bit power hungry are long gone there was a far more recent extraterrestrial race here representing itself as our gods and creators that finally was removed from the planet in 1978. Oh, you've, we've got to go there, but, you know, I just went to see the movie Noah. And mm -hmm. was that part and parcel to getting rid of uh, some of the people that were – how does that work into all this, this scenario? Does it work in at all, the flood? As I recall – um, as I recall, there was a real Noah, but he lived about a hundred thousand years ago, not during the, you know, the, the biblical times that we're told about, because according to the information in this case, the Bibles, both of them, were crafted by people long after original events. Many of the events are absolute f fables and myths and what have you. But there was a guy, I think his original name was something like Noah Kab 
Nebuchadnezzar or something like this, who was warned by the, you know, the resident god of the time, extraterrestrial, who was kind of an overlord of the planet, that there was probably, I think it may have been because of Destroyer or another comet, that there was going to be tremendous upheaval. And, hey, you know, here, you know, build yourself a boat and get whatever you can in there. And that, that there is truth to that. The remnants of it are not at Mount Ararat. That it, the actual original ark has long turned, you know, since turned to dirt. And, of course, you couldn't have every creature uh, two by two on anything. I mean, even the logic of, well, what do these creatures eat? And they start eating each. I mean, these are nice fables for Sunday school if you really want to go that way, folks. But... Um, if you do a search on my site, you'll probably either find it on my site or another site linked to it where you'll get more of that history, plus the history of the other comings and goings on Earth, the other extraterrestrials, the gods of our past, who they were. There was uh, popular during the, let's say, 80s and 90s, a so-called Ashtar Command. I don't know if you ever heard the term. A lot of people thought they were channeling Ashtar. And it turns out that there was a real Ashtar, and he was connected to a very negative group that was based underneath the Great Pyramid of Egypt for thousands of years up until 78, 79, when they were removed from the planet. Nice arc, buddy. I was just going to come back in 78, 79. How were they removed from the planet? Now, these were subterranean um, people, I guess you could say, or subterranean species? No, they were fully human beings who were a splinter group, actually, of the group that the Playaran themselves, you know, originated from. There were, there were some, you know, common answers out there. And in all cases here, we must remember, we are talking about human beings, virtually indistinguishable from us for the most part. They could walk among us, and they don't. They're not on Earth. No, you, you, you haven't been abducted. Your girlfriend isn't from outer space. I mean, she may be. From <laughs> okay. Michael, um, I always make the same joke whenever we talk about aliens. I always say, yeah, we have them living here in Canada, except they're all in Ottawa, and we call them politicians. <laughs> yeah, I've heard some criticisms of that. Oh, boy. Rob well, Ford may be one, actually. Anyways, we won't go there. But won't touch that one stay on the air for a while. Um, <laughs> indeed. Well, these were human beings who, uh, a name or two, well, one of the names that people might be familiar with, you ever hear the name Jehovah mentioned? Oh, yes, of course, sure. It's a little guy. And he was a very long-lived fellow connected to this extraterrestrial group, known alternately as the Bafath, B-A-F-A-T-H, and the Giza Intelligences. There are many names that are uh, connected to them that you can find in all sorts of documents, freely available on my website and others linked from it, and it tells about their machinations, and you asked how they got removed. Well, they, um, this term, you've heard of the term the men in black. Of course. That's, that's a term that Meyer himself has used to identify extraterrestrial beings, and these tended usually to be from the Syrian system, who still had a grudge, if you will, all this time later, and also terrestrial people from, you know, terrestrial intelligence services who were out to, you know, shorten his time on Earth. Um, the Bafath, the Giza intelligences, were quite negative to Meyer because they opposed 
the mission, if you will, of the play Aaron to bring truth and freedom to the people of Earth, because for thousands of years they had been behind any and all machinations basically to enslave and control the Earth population, and their number one mechanism of choice was religion, and they had a hand in every single religion on some way, shape, or form. They had very sophisticated technology, and back in the 70s, they had a certain level of what is called telenautic control, uh, kind of hypnotic control transmitted technologically over 745 or so people, including religious figures, politicians, etc., etc., influencing people all over, including the Thule Society, which was the uh, occult group behind Hitler. That's right. Right? So these people had super sophisticated stuff, and Meyer was taken below the Great Pyramid, a mile below the earth, when he was 16 by a woman named Asket, and he was shown what they had there, which, interestingly enough, to some degree coincides with what Edgar Cayce had written about, i.e., there was a large craft, spacecraft, under the pyramid, and that is indeed what Meyer saw, as well as smaller craft and a virtual small city there, where these beings uh, maintained their headquarters. They could travel freely. They could move up through the Earth and out by altering their frequency and dimension and passing through matter. But they did, uh, and there are a couple of interesting contact reports on this, recent ones, where the Playaren went into it and found out even more information, and they did indeed have control over uh, influencing and quote-unquote channeling to a lot of people that thought they were so lucky to have this voice in their head, which was basically <laughs> willingly and, you know, uh, aggressively wanting to control them. And uh, there was even a false second coming planned. Meyer had seen what were called the utensils of the crucifixion that had been remanufactured by these people so well that they would have even passed our carbon dating tests. I mean, when you talk about the Billy Meyer case, folks, you're not talking about, did some guy make a photograph of a model? You're talking about every aspect of our history, of our science, things that are coming true as we speak in the prophetic information, international military movements on the part of Russia, uh, mega earthquakes and stuff, all of this dating back to 1951, 58, 64, 70. Information Meyer started publishing when he was 14. Now, so he's the prophet for this time. It's not a big celebrity position, 22 attempts on your life, and you're told, Ten years before it happens, oh, by the way, your left arm's going to get ripped off your body. Nothing we can do about it. It's part of your destiny. Have a nice day. Learn how to use one hand. So, you know, this is not the um, the typical, um, oh, what do you call it? I'm a contactee. Contactee. You know, kind of thing. So what we what we are wanting to do here is clear the air, and refresh things for people so that they can at least look at this information and and then consider for themselves if it's true or not. What did they look like, the play Aaron? They Well, Billy's met the play Aaron, and he's also met um, other extraterrestrials who are human and of various, um, what do you call it, uh, races and um, uh, species. 
Well, he's seen some that are a little, you know, a little different than we might expect. But for the most part, they are, the Playaren look to be kind of like Northern Europeans. There's some of the extraterrestrials look like they could be Mediterranean. They could be African-looking, Asian-looking, and other variations. It's a mixed bag. So we could virtually run into one and not even know it. Absolutely. Interesting. Now, you had mentioned under Giza there was a huge city. Some people have contacted me and asked me if there could be something similar to that underneath, of all places, the Vatican. Would you know anything about that? Based on what is in the minor material, they refer to the area of the Vatican as the singular most negative place on Earth. Really? Yes. The Vatican knows who Billy Meyer really is. The Vatican, and I know we probably don't have time to go into these details, the Vatican has adapted certain techniques that Meyer teaches that are about liberating people to think themselves. They've modified them to try to create more followers. And this is stuff that's better explained by people, what do you say, reading the material and becoming familiar with it and all of that. So I would say that there's no truth to the idea that underneath the Vatican, what is underneath the Vatican, which Meyer foretold before it was discovered and will be confirmed, are magma chambers that extend from Naples underneath Vesuvius and that will ultimately take out the Vatican along with a lot of other stuff when Vesuvius blows. Oh, I see. Okay. So there is going to be some turmoil there. Now, I'm not sure if you were aware that we have a second part of the show. It's a two-hour show. Is that cool with you? Are you going to be able to stick around in the second half? Yes. Between six to seven, your time? Yes. Oh, great. Okay, wonderful. So we can get into some of the predictions. That's what I wanted to do in the second part of the show and talk more about this great video that's come out, folks. By the way, if you're just joining us, welcome to Night Fright. I'm your host, Brent Holland. Michael Horn's with us tonight. Now, fans of the show will know that Michael's been on before. Fans of Coast will know who Michael is. But if you're not unsure, Google Michael Horn, Google Billy Meyer. Michael Horn is probably the most knowledgeable person about Billy Meyer's story. Now, Billy Meyer is more than a contactee, according to Michael. He is indeed a prophet, a modern-day prophet, that is given this information to better mankind and we're going to be looking at some of those predictions in the second half of the show we've got uh, five minutes approximately before the six minute break uh, some of the things we'll be looking at folks is uh, Fukushima climate change of course that's a big one this has been the worst winter I have ever ever seen in my life it's been cold the amount of snow we've got is unprecedented uh, something weird is going on without question. We're going to be looking at terrorism, whether we're safe or not. We're going to be looking at all those aspects. The video is called, And Did They Listen? The easy way to get the video, as all our guests who come on the show, www.nightfrightshow.com.
www.nightfrightshow.com, www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on tonight's guest link, and that will take you to a place where you can either download the video, stream it, or buy the hard copy. How great is that? And uh, there's lots of products there on on um, Michael Horn's website and lots of links, and we'll put most of those up as well on the www.nightfrightshow website. Um, I'm kind of, well, I wonder if we have enough time to go into it now. Let's go. Who is the UN ambassador that has met a fella or a woman by the name of Askit from the right. Dow universe? Can you explain that to us in a few, just a couple yeah. minutes? Thank sure. You. Uh, in, in the um, early 1960s, uh, uh, in his trips uh, around the world and all of that, well, or, or through 42 countries anyway, um, Meyer was studying uh, Buddhism at an ashram in India because he was also to familiarize himself with the various religions of the world so he could understand about them and then be educated as to what the, the play are and, and uh, Asket, this woman uh, who was tutoring him at the time, what she could also teach him about the religions and how they were formed and everything else. At that time, um, and there's some of those photographs are also on my website, he was studying there and there was a head monk who was the uh, main you know, teacher at the ashram and his, the monk had a granddaughter who not only saw Meyer uh, walking the grounds and saw the ships, but he saw Meyer walking with this woman who, whose name uh, we were told is Asket, and on frequent occasions she would come into his room at night and uh, into her room at night, pardon me, into Paul Ball's room at night, and sit there and maybe hum and stroke her hairs. This young girl would fall asleep. We learned later from Paul Ball when she came forward publicly that she would always wake up in the morning feeling like she had, knew a lot more than when she went to sleep but couldn't explain it. Paul Ball Cheng, yeah, came forward in either somewhere between 95 and 98, and at that time she had... Uh, she was already a retired UN ambassador serving her country, Cambodia, at the United Nations for 12 years. A very credible, trusted person who had, yeah. And she wasn't looking for publicity, but people had found her because of the ashram. I'm hearing now about Billy Meyer, and hey, didn't you and your grandfather, weren't they there? So I think it's important to, you know, uh, we have that, and you can see that some of that interview with her for free on my website. We also have one of uh, the first documentaries up there, The Silent Revolution of Truth. If you can sit through the YouTube commercials, it's clickable through on my website. And also sell it if you want it, but you can see it for free. Why not? So um, she, uh, you know, is a highly credible person in our film, in that first film. I brought in a guy who was a special uh, consultant to the U.S. Army, to the Special Forces, and he taught them how to read body language. And we had him look at her and Meyer with the sound off so he wouldn't know what they were saying. And his assessment based on their body language was that they were both truthful, telling what they knew to be true. And she's talking about seeing these UFOs and, and Billy Meyer and this woman. So that's the story about the U.N. ambassadors. There's the music, folks. Thanks so much for that, Michael. Stick around, folks. Got a whole hour coming up in six minutes. Michael Horn's here. We're talking about Billy Meyer. Next hour, predictions that were given to Billy Meyer. 
Stay tuned. We'll be back in six minutes, folks. I'm Brent Holland, www.nightfrightshow.com. By the way, folks, if you hear those people cheering right now, they're just outside the studio window. I can see them all. There's crowds and crowds of people all clamoring over Night Fright Show because Michael Horn's with us tonight. We're talking about the Millie Meyer story. Michael's got a new video out on the Billy, Biddy Meyer. I'll get it together yet, folks, on the Billy Meyer story called And Did They Listen? And... Um, Easy way to get it is always www.nightfrightshow.com. Just click on tonight's guest link, and that'll take you right to a spot where you have three choices. You could stream it, you could download it, or you could buy the hard copy. Either way, you are going to be entertained and informed of everything about Billy Meyer, because Michael Horn, folks, is probably the best-known person representing Billy Meyer and knows his story inside out. And, as promised, we're going to get into some of the predictions that this group of people called the Playarin, who are in contact with Billy, have given Billy, hopefully for the betterment of mankind. Michael, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us in the second half. Thank you, Brent, and I'm not trapped in traffic. (laughs) (laughs) Which is really great. No kidding. No kidding, my friend. And, folks, if you're just joining us, get the coffee going, get the tea going, get a beverage of your choice going. We've got a full hour left. No problems whatsoever, folks. Just relax. This is your time. If you're listening on the car radio, ease off that gas pedal ever so slightly and let us take you on a nice ride for the next hour. Once again, folks, All the guest information can be found at www.nightfrightshow.com. Okay, I want to ask you right away, because this is really important, what is so explosive in the video, and did they listen, that it had to be banned at (laughs) Arizona State University? This is absolutely bizarre. You know, I grew up thinking that universities, educational institutions in general, Michael, were bastions of free thought, free speech. What's going on? Well, your question, you know, what's so, you know, that they had to ban it. The person that banned it did not make one specific objection. And I think, actually, to answer it, the evidence, the, you know, if I may say so myself, the clear evidence and the presentation of it uh, in all of the categories in which it's presented in the film is so incontrovertible, it's so irrefutable and uncomfortably so for people that at best are used to, you know, to worrying about weighty issues uh, of politics and tattoos and should we have a course in transcultural, transgender twittering, t- uh, you know, twerking uh, tattoos, you know. I get you, I get you. Yeah. So this blew her out. Uh, it was pretty clear because I had spoken with this woman on the phone prior to her seeing the film. She was talking nice about, she, she, sure, she'll watch it. And, and then this terse type of response, this film will not be shown nor endorsed by A.S. I didn't ask for her endorsement. You know, and she had also said she was going to show the film to other parties there so to see if there were professors that were interested. She didn't show it to anybody. She just said, uh-uh, this ain't going to be shown here. So 
it's one of those things where when you're not dealing with the UFO entertainment disinformation world, which I make no bones about calling 99% of it, suddenly you have to deal with something that is in your face where you're seeing beautiful, clear, you know, nice large reproductions of, of a craft that a man is within 20 feet of, and it's detailed and it's explained, and then there's the prophecies, and we realize... You mentioned, you know, Fukushima. We realized this man, within days of the Fukushima event, within days, was told the real, brutal, hard, ugly truth that we're only now just beginning, beginning to realize. You know, the particles were already being found in northern and central Europe five days after that disaster, and they have contaminated the sea and the food chain, and we're in big, big, big trouble. Hang on to that for a second. I want to talk. The video we just talked about, folks, and did they listen, the one that's banned at Arizona State University. I'm fearful when, when I hear things are censored, when I hear things are banned, because we're not talking about hate propaganda or anything like that. These are not neo-Nazis. And shouldn't we have at least a discussion on new fresh ideas don't you feel the same way michael like why uh, yeah. i would you know uh, the other thing that i don't publicize is that i had contacted the astronomy club at asu and said would you like to have a screening of the film they said well we, we can't really pay for it but i said hey i'll do it out of just the love of, of you know intellectual uh you know curiosity and sharing stuff and then they said yes, and then within a couple of days they said, "We're sorry, we're not we're not going to be able to do this," and they t turned it down. So this is the joke of you know free free speech and and free you know free thinking. It's not existing in as many places as we would like to believe that it is. Yeah, and you would think a university would be a place, the last place that something would be censored or banned. And that video is called, And Did They Listen? Uh, it's by Michael Horn about Billy Meyer. Easy way to get this video, folks, and decide for yourself. Give it a watch. Give it a view. Three ways to get it. www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on the link there. Three ways to get it, as I said before. You can stream it live. You can download it, order it and download it, or you can get the hard copy mailed to you. And uh, I would recommend all three. Why not? You know, this, if this thing is that explosive, that it's banned at a university in America, like we're not talking Iran here, folks, or our third world thugocracy. We're talking mainstream America, and that is frightening to me. Let's go back to Fukushima and uh, Michael Horn. Now, I'm going to date myself very badly here, Michael. <laughs> I remember Chernobyl, and I remember when the accident happened, and a few days later they were giving out the fact that all the way over in Canada, all the way over in Ottawa, they were getting fallout readings. This scares me because yeah. we're on this planet. We're all sharing the planet. It's a closed environment. What's going on in Fukushima? What is going on there? Yeah, what's happening? What is well, what has Billy been told that we well, aren't being told? Let me uh, let me just kind of uh, precede that with the following information from Meyer from several years ago: the atomic testing and detonations yes, from the 40s and 50s 
have contaminated our world already. They are, and a recent, a new scientific finding just validated Meyer's information. This stuff remained in the atmosphere. It is more of a cause of lung cancer than smoking. So there has been a deliberate obfuscation to protect people from knowing how deadly all this stuff is, was, has been, and continues to be. And Meyer warned back in the 50s about the need to not develop, to eliminate any atomic energy plants uh, that we were getting already getting, you know, the radiation from the atmospheric testing, from hospitals leaking the stuff. We are in it. And in Canada, right up around Lake Ontario, there's some nuclear thing up there that's been leaking for some time and all of that. Yeah, that's true, folks. That uh, reactor over it, um, I was going to say, in its pickering. Um, and, you know, it's all hushed up. Uh, we're trying to find out information, of course. Don't go panicking. I don't, you know, people listening, don't go panicking. I don't want you to do that. But, you know, you have to be prudent about these things at the same time. We all go back to the ice storm as well, and people were caught unprepared. Always be prepared, and I think you'll sleep safer at night. These things scare me. I, I, I had prefaced... Fukushima also with climate change and this scares me as well because we've just gone through the worst winter I can recall and I just told you how old I am and I'm an old fart I just can't believe how bad our winter was um, has Billy been told anything about climate change and what we could expect oh my goodness oh. Billy is the first person to write about climate change and call it that in unnatural climate change in 1951 and in 58 the climbing global warming and all of the manifestations the increase in frequency and intensity of earthquakes hurricanes floods tornadoes typhoons snowstorms blizzards because he also acknowledged that even though we would have this severe unnatural climbing uh, global warming, that we would also have tremendous cold and at some point enter into another ice age. That's not defined as to exactly when. But he's the original, you know, light in the darkness about all this stuff. And he was foretelling the megaquakes and the destruction and the relationship to the extraction of petroleum, natural gas, overbuilding of cities and dams. He published that in 1976. These sinkholes that are appearing, the majority of them appear in the proximity of places where mining or oil and gas extraction has been. It is coming true exactly as he foretold it. Now, that is not, you know, anything to give us comfort, unfortunately, except... If we do, if, if those of us, you know, I'm, a, I'm older than you are, I'm sure, and I was around for Chernobyl and the rest of it, and if we have developed the wisdom and if the younger people today can just pry themselves for a moment or two away from texting and iPhones and stuff, with the exception of passing this information among their groups and in through the social media, the generation that has had this unloaded on them, the generations, I should say, are the ones who are tasked now to dealing uh, even when they may be in some ways too young but don't count on it, to have to contend with this. This is a global problem. According to the play, Aaron, parts of the oceans are dead for a million years. Uh, Fukushima and the BP disaster is still causing effects because we don't hear about it doesn't mean it went away. 
And there's also a, a new article in, from Science confirming Meyer's information about that. The man doesn't miss because he's dealing not only with his own innate huge wisdom and abilities as a prophet, he has the play iron who have the technology he doesn't. They can access this information, they can go future, they can look at back causes. You can't change the past, but you can learn more about the truth of it. So we are in these interesting times that the Chinese cursed everybody with, and they're getting it too. We have to recognize this is not entertainment about aliens, you know, this whole thing. You're not going to see this more than likely ever on the History Channel or UFO Hunters or whatever, because this is bad for business. MUFON, the big organization based in the U.S., the president of that organization said to me and another person, I'm glad that he witnessed it, um, he he said to us, um, when I asked him, oh, you know about the Meyer case? He said, yeah, I know about it. I know about your work. He says, let me just tell you, though, that uh, we know it's true. It's just that it's too good. That means that when you start talking about the the truth of the Meyer case, you empty the room. There's no reason for anybody to babble about UFOs and imaginary alien abductions that are conducted when they're at all real by secret military ops. This is the, this is why this film. This is why Meyer case can't get into the mainstream. It, it, it just rips apart all the frauds connected to our belief systems, our politics, which are just the worst dog and pony charades imaginable that plunge us into this grief. And you also may know that it, as far back as 1981 and 87, Meyer published information about the military movements of Russia that would eventually result in Russia launching attacks in Eastern Europe through Iran and Turkey as well as Scandinavia and then coming over through Alaska involving Canada and attacking the United States. whoop de do. You know, it's funny because, again, you must, you must be clairvoyant, Michael, somehow, because one of my questions to you was I look at geopolitics all the time. And many people thought the Cold War was over and the bear was dead. And my attitude back in the good old days, which was only five years ago, was that the bear's not dead. It'll never be dead. It's hibernating. And certainly we've seen evidence of that through Syria and also this latest evidence with the Ukraine. Are we in big trouble? Are we looking at another Cuban Missile Crisis, this time Ukraine yeah. Missile Crisis? Let's let's do it this way. Okay. Um, I, 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 to try to have some form of a comprehensive answer that's as accurate about the information. For the longest time, Meyer has not only foretold Russia and China's uh, military alliance. That that information goes back to '76 when he warned that Russia and China were already in a behind-the-scenes, uh, let's say, cooperative, despite their other differences. Uh, a venture that would result in very broad military movements across the world. But Meyer and the Playaron have been absolutely unyielding in their criticism of my country and its role in instigating all of sorts of intrigues that have then manifested uh, and looked like other people started wars and all the rest. Uh, there are over 240 unprovoked acts of aggression. I have a link on my page that the U.S. has done in the past 40, 50 years 
overthrowing democratically established governments, destabilizing governments, installing dictatorships, causing revolutions, assassination squads, making the, the country safe for corporations. And I mean, it goes on and on. And not a one of those countries had ever attacked us. The laws of cause and effect dictate that what goes around comes around. And so a lot of people and a lot of energy that, uh, if you will, has been uh, impinged upon and manipulated and, and exploited, has hopped on the return movement of that wrecking ball. That pendulum is now a wrecking ball coming back in many directions, including to our country. And all the Band-Aid fixing and all the posturing that's done worldwide, not just here, is not going to help anything. Russia will, uh, and China will, expand their military reach, and the degrees of that may be known precisely to Meyer and to Play Aaron. They've hinted that it's going to be broad. It doesn't necessarily mean a third world war. But paradoxically, the spiritual hope for the world, according to the Play Aaron and Meyer, ultimately comes out of Russia. Really? That's, yeah, not Putin, and not that mindset. But let's remember... The Russians are a people who've been attacked by everybody as well from every angle and every border throughout history. Yeah, they are a long-suffering yeah. Yeah. Long but enormously strong, resilient, and basically a kind of a spiritual people. Uh, they, in many cases, they have a lot of you know religion going on over there, Russian Orthodox at all. But they're, they're, you could use this term soulful kind of a people, and they also have some pretty tough characters uh, all throughout history. They've had to endure. We in America, and probably I would imagine Canada, have never had a foreign invasion in a sense that many other countries have. Most of Europe, Russia, we don't know. And the Russians are tough. They are not going to be pussyfooting around. Um, even now, the predictions about the Russians... Uh, going into Scandinavia, are now in the news. And Meyer published it, you know, 27 years ago. This is happening, unfolding. So one thing to do at this point of my motor mouth thing is to say, well, wait a minute. Does that mean everything's hopeless and the pro it's, we're all doing No. The prophecies, not the, the predictions are things that are going to happen, and they usually are more like cosmic events. The prophecies were given in order to foretell what will occur if human beings... Don't make better choices. Don't think, feel, and act in correct harmony with truth, with the laws of cause and effect, right. with the way this universe should operate. So that's where we can make our, um, you know, adjustments, so to speak. Are we a threat to extraterrestrials? You know, I always fear the fact that if we kill off our planet, or God forbid if we should implode our planet, that's going to create a void that things would rush into. Is that a fear? Well, actually, uh, beyond a void, which maybe the solar system would accommodate because it accommodated, you know, the disappearance of Malona for an asteroid belt, there might be a second one. The danger is that if we blow our planet up, it hurls projectiles into space 360 degrees that could cause great damage far from here where there are other inhabited worlds. And... We are entitled to destroy ourselves if we're that stupid and we want to start over again and, you know, learn the lesson the really hard way. We're, we're still going to learn some pretty rough ones, unfortunately. But if we go that far that we wipe ourselves out, nobody is going to, uh, you know, be uh, doing anything about it other than knowing that uh, 
if the planet is still habitable and if it gets, uh, you know, repopulated through efforts of some other group, that there will also be the spirits of former Earthlings, quite possibly, depending on time frames, may be incarnating, reincarnating in that new group, but more, more than likely, because of the laws of creation, all of the spirit forms of all the people connected with this planet would have migrated in an unconscious way to a world where there is life and incarnation that is a suitable level of evolution that our spirit forms could start to reincarnate there and hopefully in a world that is, you know, wiser and, and you know, than, than we are to have created that. But we don't have to. That would be sweet. You know, I often say that if sitting around a campfire and because I get, I get people telling me stories of UFO sightings and abductions and ghost stories from right around the world, uh, not, not one country is exempt. This is part of the human condition. I always say if it takes us sitting around a campfire telling ghost stories to get us to shop, stop shooting each other's butts off, well, so be it. I want to talk about what could be, I guess, uh, a planet-ending event, and that's the asteroid Apophis. But first I want to tell people who we're speaking with, folks, if you're anything like me and you've been listening for the past little while, you're probably glued to your chair as I am. We're speaking with Michael Horn tonight. We're talking about the video that he's just released, and did they listen? It's a story about Billy Meyer, of course, who he, and Michael Horn is the foremost knowledgeable person on Billy Meyer and his story. This is such an explosive video, folks. You're going to want to get this for your library. It's been banned at a university. And I'm not talking a university in uh, Saudi Arabia or a university in Iran. No, right here in the United States at Arizona State University. They will not let this video, it's so explosive, be shown. Easy way to get the video, www.nightfrightshow.com, www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on tonight's guest, book, oh, I was going to say book cover, uh, in this case, DVD cover. <laughs> Three ways you can get the video once you're at the, uh, the link. You can stream it online right away, you can download it for your library, or most preferred, I would suggest, do all three and get a hard copy as well for your library. I think that would be most beneficial for everybody. Okay, let's talk about this asteroid, shall we, Michael? Sure. Are sure. we in trouble again, my friend? <laughs> Every time I hear about an asteroid coming close to the planet, I kind of go, <gasps> Yeah. Well, here's the story. In 1981, Meyer was told about an object uh, that the play Aaron called the Red Meteor. They used that term for whatever their reasons were. They simply called it the Red Meteor. And they said this object is headed towards Earth, and it will make two passes, and the first one will be around 2029. If it doesn't hit then, it will be hitting in 2036. Your scientists need to come together and deflect it. We recommend not blowing it up. We recommend using an atomic explosion to cause it to, die, uh, you know, to be altered, course altered, so that a, a small, you know, course correction far out produces quite a, a, you know, different vector, and that would be what we recommend. So we also put this contact information up on the Internet in comic book form, along with a couple other interesting 
uh, episodes Meyer had with the play Aaron, so people could see this and relate to it, because they also said this is going to slam uh, in between the North Sea and the Black Sea. If it hits, you've got cracking of the crust and floods and gases and disasters going on, especially in that area. Well, NASA, of course, uh, announces in 2004 that there's this asteroid out there, and they name it Apophis, which is the name of some uh, Egyptian god of destruction. And um, so the, uh, <coughs> excuse me, the uh, NASA, of course, says there's no danger from it. You know, don't worry about it. Probably figuring that even if it's going to hit, it ain't going to hit in our backyard. So we're Americans and nothing bad will happen to us. And however, we live on a round planet. And um, as some people, you know, slowly, some of the more brilliant scientists are able to deduce Something over here can quite possibly affect something over there. So while NASA hasn't yet admitted that there's some concern, they did an interesting thing. They upgraded their size estimate of Apophis to within 25 meters of what Meyer published years ago. Wow. Oh, gee. You know, so all these skeptics and absolute idiots that attack, oh, Meyer backdated the you know. Saying no, he didn't backdate any information. You know, we got it here and we've got it there. And but you have these people that are know-it-alls, and because some of them have initials after their name, they want to tell you how much smarter they are than this simple guy living in Switzerland. Well, we have so much now in the way of corroborated, documented, copyrighted, verified, ironclad, prophetically accurate information that anybody that goes through it, just open-minded, critical thinking. Do, the, do, do your due diligence. If you come out the other end of that and you don't know that this is real, then, my goodness, you know, have a nice day and don't think about these things because they're only going to uh, disturb you. Or not, as the case may be. Or not. Are you making any preparations for end-time events? Well, yeah, I'm trying to do what I can to uh, cause enough ripples in consciousness where we go, hey, wait a minute. Let's not have an end time. Let's alter some stuff. The Russians and Chinese and European Space Agency now, they're all talking about plans to do what? Deflect it. What did we do? We sent information whenever possible to, you know, Russian publications and put stuff up on the Internet. They're not, they don't have to admit that they learned about this from Meyer. We don't care. Just do something, you know. You be the ones to, to bump it off, off the, you know, the course. Mm -hmm. Terrorism. Now, there's a subject that is dear to my heart, especially after 9-11. I was in Montreal, Michael, uh, when the planes hit. And at first they were predicting, of course, 55,000 casualties. So they were going to send a lot of those casualties because Montreal is in close proximity to New York and it's got major hospitals and everything. We're going to send them up to Montreal. So they were asking for blood. So we closed the studio down. We all went to give blood and... The horror of horrors happened when we did that, and, of course, the towers fell, and uh, there would be no casualties, unfortunately. Um, is there another shattering event like that that perhaps Billy has been told about and perhaps we can stave off or alter? Well, they have not spelled out anything except to say something to the effect at after the most catastrophic incident ever to occur on the North American continent happens, even then the United States of America will be trying to, uh, you know, create 
dominion and rulership over the rest of the world. Now, there has been speculation as to what that event, the most catastrophic incident ever to occur on the North American continent, and the candidates that have come up for discussion, like in my blog and other places, include the eruption of Yellowstone, which would be pretty big, but also, two other things, the 9.0 earthquake, seaquake, technically probably, and tsunami that Meyer predicted in 2005 with the help of the Playaron that would run for five solid minutes at 9.0 and then produce a tsunami and then produce another earthquake and another tsunami. Three years later, Oregon State University came out with the exact same prediction. And that relates to an area, I guess, commonly called the Cascadian Subduction Zone, off the coast there, the west coast up around Portland and all that. If that happens, that would produce an enormous catastrophe. It could be what they're talking about. Uh, There is talk, of course, about quakes in California. In addition to that, Meyer has already photographed in 1978, went into the future and photographed the coming San Francisco earthquake, 11 photographs taken, no date will be given, but those photographs were carefully examined by Lieutenant Colonel Stevens and investigators uh, uh, Britt Elders, and they would term Meyer came into the room with a packet of, you know, in a Kodak, yellow Kodak envelope and threw 11 photos on the table. And they're looking at photographs, unmistakably, undeniably, San Francisco. Buildings are collapsed, crashed. The Transamerica's pyramidal structure on top, I think, is on the ground. Smoke and fire everywhere. And they're going, oh, my gosh, how could we try and figure out when this happens? And Stevens, we have this information on the website, theyfly.com. Stevens noted and wrote the cars. We focused in on the cars, and the ones we could see looked very different from the cars of today, 1978. They were rounder with much more glass going into the roof lines. In some cases, even glass appeared to have glass roofs. And there were no external projections, i.e. side view mirrors. Well, just a few days ago... Tesla, uh, Elon Musk announced that they'll be putting, they'll be getting rid of these pesky side view mirrors for complete camera technology. They already have backup cameras. Now they are going to get rid of the side view mirrors, and there are concept cars from Toyota and Mercedes already in the works for that. So, you know, the handwriting is on the wall for that one. Another event that could occur, which the player have said is a prediction unless human beings listen to their advice, the La Palma volcano over there in the Canary Islands is going to blow, and unless humans take down the westward-facing mass, the wall of, of dirt and rock, one trillion tons of mass will suddenly be dumped into the Atlantic Ocean, creating a tsunami that not only crawls up the coast there to France and Portugal and Spain, but goes across the Atlantic, reaching the wave, the, you know, the shock wave of the tsunami, reaching supersonic speeds, and then coming into land along the entire Atlantic seaboard at 
great heights and supersonic speeds whereby it will penetrate up to 1220 miles inland with a loss estimated of 20 million human lives if there isn't adequate preparation, warning, etc. So these, you ask about events, they said, hey folks, your scientists know about this stuff, they just don't want to rock the boat because, you see, a lot of scientists are on pay payrolls and they're funded and they They've, you know, they've got tenure and they've got positions, and why should we let people know these grim things that might panic or concern people, or if credible people spoke about it in reasonable ways, might actually motivate people to take some, you know, a proactive steps to mitigate, diminish, even eliminate a lot of potential catastrophic damage. If People in the Canary Islands, whoever is involved with that, uh, or other countries even with vested interest, U.S., Portugal, Spain, uh, France, were to cooperate to take down, you know, to grade down, even, uh, you know, blow away some of that mass until there was so little mass that would be dumped suddenly when that western face is, you know, exploded. Think about how we could use our brains rather than figuring out how to dominate, domineer, exploit, destroy, control, and enslave everybody, how we could do other things. Now, there's another thing. Now that you mention it, and it's a little different. Uh, there is on, my, on the Swiss website from Billy Meyer and Figu information. There's several letters, including one from Meyer, that is in no uncertain terms vehemently protesting the uh, European Union and, and Switzerland falling under any control from them because... Meyer is the first human being on record in 1958 to publish in this huge uh, set of uh, prophecies and predictions that in the future, from 1958 in the future, there would come an entity into existence with the initials EU standing for European Union, which would be a dictatorship that would move along with the United States to biometrically chip every human being on the face of the earth so that their movements, behaviors, and control them within millimeters. They, no movement, no thought, nothing would go unnoticed, and each human being would be controlled by it. And Meyer has long warned that this European Union, which now exists, is going to step by step, mouthful by mouthful, eat up all of the sovereignty of the European states, and Switzerland would be one of the last ones to fall under it. And, you know, he's one of the people exhorting the Swiss to not go daffy here and allow this because it will spell the end of freedom for everybody in Europe. You know, Michael, thanks for coming on the show and uh, picking me up. It would have picked me up show, eh, folks? <laughs> Good thing I didn't you feel to the Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and going to those chip things, um, our neighbor has some cats and uh, they're chipped just in case they get lost, you know, and they're talking about putting chips in people with their whole medical history on it just in case you happen to have an accident. So that's a positive side. The negative side is, as you just said, I mean, there's going to be GPS and they'll be able to tell where you are anyways. Uh, and they can do that now just by turning on the GPS in your phone and virtually um, they can track you anywhere you go. Folks, this is an electric show. Michael yep. Horns here. We're talking about the Billy Meyer story and the new video. And did they listen? This video is so explosive. It was banned at Arizona State University. Now, how wild is that? Freedom of speech, right out the window. Freedom of thought, right out the window. 
the ability to discuss new ideas right out the window right here in North America, in the United States of America. Easy way to get the video, folks, www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on tonight's guest's DVD cover. That'll take you a place where you can get the DVD either by streaming it live, downloading it right off uh, the website, or ordering the hard copy. I would suggest all three, especially the hard copy. I think this is something that uh, you'd want in your library without question. Now, Michael, oh, by the way, folks, if you'd like to speak with Michael, I should have given this out before, to Brent Holland Show. That's the Skype address, and I'll put you, uh, I'll put you right in contact with Michael, and you can ask him any question you'd like. Brent Holland Show, that's the Skype address. Any good news for us? <laughs> That's actually, uh, the good news is that in a long period of time, humanity will have learned, either by going through stuff, kicking and um, screaming, screaming, or a little bit more uh, elegantly, uh, will learn to value love, peace, freedom, harmony, truth, cooperation, living in abundance with each other, um, you know, you know, it's funny, Michael, I was talking about this very subject with a very good friend of mine last night. I said, for the first time in the history of mankind, we have the ability to feed every human being on this planet, little kids everywhere. And not only do we have that ability, we have the distribution ability with the armies. Instead of that, what do we do? We shoot each other. Mm-hmm. And this just... It mind boggles me why we're still stuck in this warlike um, persona that we have to, our egos are so strong that we have to be the macho, macho man and stand up and say, well, look at how tough I am instead of feeding a little kid. When we have that darn ability, we turn our backs. Yeah. 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 It makes me nuts. Makes me absolutely nuts. Is there good news down the road? If we, if we take heed to all these warnings... Yeah, actually, while we're even in the midst of a lot of this stuff and whatever can come of it, there are going to be a lot of people who, by virtue of finding this material and quietly employing it in their own lives, perhaps sharing it with others, coming together in little study groups like we have here in Arizona, they're going to find that their own individual lives uh, have more love and peace and freedom and harmony, still with whatever struggles. Uh, the camaraderie, the the common purpose in truth, not in belief, not in partisanship, uh, will bind people more closely together. It doesn't make for perfect uh, world all the time and relationships. But see, this is up to the individual because the core of this whole thing is self-responsibility. When we decide as individuals that we are going to make a change in our own thinking, our own feelings, which lead to the actions that we then take, because every feeling comes from a thought. When we decide we're going to start paying attention to all that stuff that's rumbling through our head 24-7 and causing us to behave habitually all too often, and we want to take control of that and make better choices, you will start to see this manifest in your life and the light around you, and you'll be surprised. It won't necessarily be bells and whistles and rockets going off. It will be something else that gives you that peace inside and that encourages you, enthuses you, and says, hey, wait a minute. 
it, it's really this easy. I don't have to run around and wave flags at p political conventions and listen to liars who are going to break their promises later and be excited to vote for them. But if I'm going to vote for anybody, I'm going to look to sense the person that's got the integrity and personal strength and character, and I'm going to help them, and I'm going to stop believing in, in you know, imaginary gods and demons and saints and rituals and stuff that keep people running around in fear. And I'm going to look for the truth fearlessly and realize I'm in a, a universe that is, is a miracle in and of itself and there's no hostile intent. I wasn't born in sin. Nobody's out to get me except sometimes my fellow man who's a bit ignorant. Wow, we can really start flying. Is Billy the last prophet? Will there be someone after him to uh, convey this message, if you will? No, it won't be necessary because no matter what happens, we have the teaching now. It's a voluminous, clear, brilliant teaching. It is the same teaching originally brought by the other prophets that got hacked to pieces and rewritten. We've got it. It's preserved electronically. It'll be in too many places. It cannot any longer be destroyed. It will be up to people, though, themselves to decide if it interests them enough to study it, to think about it, to test it and to see what benefit it has in their own lives. You don't believe things here. This is not about believing, and if you don't believe something happens to you that's bad, and if you just pray and believe, it's all good. We don't, you know, that's, mm -hmm. pardon me, that's not for the adult mindset that we've got to have to deal with these times. No, I understand that. We had talked before about Billy being threatened uh, 22 times uh, assassination attempts on his life. Have you ever experienced anything that's caused you harm, if you will, or caused you a reason to sort of step back and go, wow, this doesn't look right? No, uh, strangely enough, my, my explanation for it is I think that I kind of just popped up under the radar um, well enough at a time when nobody was paying attention to me, and I'm not the source of this material. I'm a reporter, I'm a researcher, and I'm somebody that, you know, takes it to heart, and I, I love what it's about, and, and the people involved who are trying to offer this to humanity without any benefit to themselves. So really, I, mean, I, I guess I just thought, you know, there's, there's a lot of religious nutcases out there. And from every religion, folks, um, you know, not just one or two. And I just thought, you know, with this universal message, perhaps that uh, because you're the messenger, so to speak, that they might want to shoot the messenger. Well, I'm hoping that nobody gets that, you know, idea firmly. And I'm up in years enough that, you know, they should just let me uh, wind. <laughs> you know, I gotcha. I'll, be, I'll be seven. I'm, you know, let me have the last few years kicking it out, you know, my own way. And um, it's a cowardly thing to, to try and kill people anyhow. I mean, not ever stopped anybody hell-bent on it. But it's like, it's out, the cat's out of the bag. If I stop doing this for whatever reason, as of this moment, it doesn't matter. It's, as Billy said in that film we did like uh, eight years ago, it's a snowball. It's going down the hill, gathering momentum, and it can't be stopped. It'll grow slowly. There's no, you don't have to fret about it, really. I'm, you know, I'm a, you know, cheerleading that people will... Check it out, because they will probably thank themselves for doing it. Have you contacted the press at all in Arizona um, because of yeah. the, the ban at Arizona State University with the video, I, and did they listen? I tried contacting something called New Times that seemed to be a forward-looking publication. I've sent uh, 
emails and the film to Michio Kaku, to Neil deGrasse Tyson. I've, I've gone on, Discovery Magazine won't allow my posts about Billy Meyer. I just found that out. I've tried to post any and everywhere and send to anybody. I've sent to people who are self-styled atheists and who initially then said they'd have the conversation with me, like a guy named Professor Peter Bogosian, who then ran away with his tail between his knees because it was a little too hot for him. Uh, there's a guy, Stefan Molyneux or something like that, who's a, otherwise a you know seemingly pretty sharp, free-thinking guy. He wouldn't even respond to three eight, you know, emails. It's kind of like, wait a minute, what's with you people? You know, stop being wimps here. Uh, so I just keep throwing it out there, but it doesn't necessarily stick for anybody, you know? Um, no, That's I understand. You you get looped into this uh, stereotypical image of, you know, somebody walking around and, and uh, like you're a lunatic or something. So they try to ostracize you. I suspect is that probably oh, yeah. what's going on? Just by default, you know, a lot of people. Well, some people will write back nasty stuff, and I say, well, look, okay. Would you like to, you know, debate this? Would you really want to do some homework? I've had a couple of people, only a few. And they've said, geez, I'm sorry, this, this looks to be real. Wait a minute, I, I would jump to some conclusions. But I've sent to so many science writers. I just sent off to two science writers yesterday. Now, I've got to give them some time, but I'm not holding my breath that they're going to respond. I sent them documentation that articles, one guy wrote articles about um, Neanderthals and also about Mercury. I sent them documentation. So Meyer published that information years before. Uh, oh. Well, that's not good for my career. Maybe what he's thinking, or maybe he's going to be one of those rare guys saying, holy cow, you know, let's deal with this. So I try. Um, I, I just, you know, I whenever I see anything, I, you know, people will send me, hey, they're discussing this article here. Well, sometimes I wish people would get on with it themselves. You know, why don't you guys start if you see an article post why is it always going to be me you know that it seems like oh gosh i don't mind I'm, i'll jump on anything and i'll take on i've taken on every skeptic that was wanted to do this james randy St stephen novella i well, what did randy have to say because i had um uh yuri uh geller on the show and uh, you know we, we know what happened with james randy and yuri geller what how did uh, he approach you First thing was, he said, because I approached him, okay. and I sent him information on this, and then he says, well, something like, this is a, a farce any child could see through, you know, meaning a hoax. And then I sent him a few emails and, and rubbed his nose, and then he said he never called it a hoax. Oh, no, I, I never said that, Michael Horn. You know, so he effectively retracted his claim. Uh, this is in the special features in the film, I pointed out, but he, wouldn't, he didn't want to send a check to Bill, and he didn't want to discuss it, and these guys just circled their wagons just trying to stave off reality. Uh, so, okay, fine, you guys, you know, I, I volunteered to, to a couple of, I said, I will come to any skeptics meeting, a convention, and you can bring all your best shots up on stage, just give me a screen, and I will take you all on, I'll even do it standing on one leg with one, you know, hand behind my back and closing eyes, because it doesn't take brilliance, the material speaks for itself, and you guys are going to have your noses rubbed in it, and that's why you will not take me up on this, so, there it is, and the film does it for anybody that wants to know. Okay, yeah, you know, you want to argue with it? Go ahead. You know, or at least at the very least, uh, coming back to Arizona State University and their band, at least entertain the idea and the discourse to have the conversation. 
you never know what will come out of a conversation when you have two people talking together, maybe some new ideas, see, new enlightenments. Uh, folks, we're talking with Michael Horn tonight. His new video is called, And Did They Listen? And that's about Billy Myers, of course. Uh, Billy Meyer, who we've been speaking about for the last two hours, and Michael's been a super trooper to stick around, and he got stuck in traffic and everything, and he's still here, folks. How great is that? Now, that video, and did they listen, is banned at a university, Arizona State University. And I have to keep saying that to myself because I can't believe a university would actually censor and ban freedom of thought, freedom of speech, especially in the United States of America where so many have given their lives to maintain that integrity of freedom of speech and freedom of thought. Easy way to get this video, folks, and I encourage you all to take a look at it and see what is so explosive that they had to ban it. They felt they had to ban it. www.nightfrightshow.com, www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on tonight's guest DVD cover. That will take you to a spot where you can do one of two things, three things I've said all night. You can screen it right away. You can stream it, or you can download it, or what I would suggest you all do, even if you do the other two, get a hard copy of this because this is something you're going to want to keep on your shelf in your library for a long, long time as proof, as evidence. Um, what's next for you, Michael? Just keep going and getting the word out? Yeah, I find that I'm blogging fairly regularly every day, sometimes two. One day I think I had three blogs out because there's so many things that pop up in the news and everything else that I go, well, folks, you got to know, Meyer already spoke about this. He foretold this. He warned about it. He advised how to resolve these things. He advised, you know, advised how to solve, how to avoid. Don't we want to start paying attention? You know, I try to keep stirring it up with that because this, this film, and, you know, there's a film that we did a year and a half or so before this one called As the Time Fulfills. I put in 55 specific prophetically accurate examples of Meyer's, uh, you know, scientific information. It runs 22 minutes, that part of the film. It's like you sit there and you go, oh, my gosh. And you can go online, you can search this out, and you can go, yeah, that that's right. That was just corroborated. Oh, it's not a new discovery. This guy really did publish it then. Does and it upset Billy Michael that nobody's listening to him? Well, I shouldn't say that that way. Let me rephrase. Does it upset Billy that mainstream won't pay closer attention? I think that who Billy is with his true ancient history of, you know, prophethood and all the rest of it in his consciousness and available to him, he knows that it's a long, long haul and that he has chosen this mission, he's chosen this work, and that humanity will sooner or later, uh, you know, get it and go through it, and if not, then uh, it'll happen later. You know, I mean, he, <laughs> yeah. he's done his gig. It's his duty. He, I think he loves life and humanity more than one can imagine because he will endure. He endures to do his work, publishing well over 26,000 pages, more than 50 books. He's one hand, over 60 to 100 words per minute in German, a very rough language to you know, fly around a keyboard on. Uh, this is his thing. This is what it's, you know, his calling in this life. He's been at this for 72 years. So he ain't given up on it. Or How did he lose his arm? I was always curious to that. 
Yeah, he uh, he knew about this in advance, but nonetheless, he got on a bus in Turkey uh, during a very particularly hot summer day and sat down in a seat where the window was open so he could put his arm out to get the fresh air, you know, to pass over it. And a drunken truck driver uh, passed over it instead. And Billy, I think, was actually yanked out the window. He was in a ditch for five hours until people heard him moaning. They took him to a Turkish hospital, amputated what was left uh, below the elbow or around that part of his arm. He was delirious for fully 30 days. He was walking around shooting his gun off and everything. Because at that time, Meyer was known as the Phantom in the Middle East. People don't know this. This is in some of our films. He was hired by police departments in West Pakistan, India, and Turkey to bring in serial killers and mass murderers without killing them, although he shot a few to, who attacked and he didn't kill anybody. And he had nerves of steel. He's in a remarkable shot with a pistol. I mean, that's legendary. They, they have little examples there in Switzerland of, like, the postage stamp and the thing that he, you know, shot through. I mean, just weird stuff. But he lives that kind of a life. Uh, there are photographs in some of our films I don't think we put. I mean, maybe, maybe we ran a couple in this film, I forgot. But, he you know, he had his black leather Swiss jack, uh, jacket with a Swiss cross and an Arab headdress. And he also was photographed with a group of... Uh, uh, what were they, Jordanian partisans in the desert dressed in full Arab garb, walking around with a rifle in the late 50s, early 60s. This guy's lived a lot. Take the UFOs out of this, and this guy's been Lawrence of Arabia meets Indiana Jones meets <laughs> Luke Skywalker. That's funny. Oh, it's true. Yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> it's uh, there's our music. We're, we're going to have to wrap now. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. It's just been a delight, and you've been a super trooper to stick through two solid hours even though you were stuck in traffic. Now, go grab something to eat, my friend. Thank you so much. Come back anytime, folks. Once again, Michael Horn's been our guest. We were looking at Billy Meyer's story and the new video that's been banned at Arizona State University. And did they listen? www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on tonight's guest DVD cover and order this product, folks. Thank you all for joining us. See you next time.